Kennedy Street, please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist. So this is the wonderful Sam Bailey, who I met, I think, was it two years ago or three years ago? 2017, and then it went into 2018, I think. Fat Friends, wasn't it? You were in that musical with Kev, which was an amazing musical. Um, He was my stage hubby. Oh, do you know what? He loved working with you. He had so much fun. We We did have a laugh. We really did. Yeah, I've never been in a show where I've laughed so much. Your first, um, was that when your first um, musical? musical? No, I did um, I did Chicago first um, in 2016. I played Mama Morton, prison officer, standard. Um, I mean, why wouldn't I? It's a great little publicity stunt there. Um, but yeah, I did that. I did um, that for like seven or eight months, and then um, I got the call for Fat Friends. And well, I didn't really get a call. I just went to see Kay in London, and then I had to read to her. And then she asked me to sing to her as if she was Kelly. And I sang the song, made her cry, and she was like, "What's your availability?" <laughs> and that was it. So yeah. It's good. It's a brilliant show. It's really, it really did change my, change my life. That show. I had so much fun. I learned from probably the best in the business. I've worked with the best in the business, and I laughed a lot. And I think I may have bought thousands and thousands of packets of Tenor Lady in that time that I was in that show, <laughs> and gone through quite a lot in in the in in that period. Yeah, my pun. It was beautiful to watch you in that. I'm yeah, not good it was fun. I'd, yeah, only like, ever, I'd only ever seen you on on Dates Factor, which of course you won, didn't you? Yeah. Um, which so for me to see you performing in a completely different way was just such a privilege, and and it was a really lovely surprise. I was just Kev, obviously Kev, who's my husband. Um, was thrilled to be working with you and not only was he thrilled because you had the amazing talent of your voice but you had the type of personality that he absolutely thrived <laughs> with it's like oh, it's like when you, they say in life you gain older brothers and I think I gained an older brother um you know what and you know you know like when you get along in life and you meet people that you just assume would be your perfect sister or your perfect brother I see Kevin as being like a big brother to me and he he looks out for me but we have such a giggle I can't even keep a straight face when I talk about him that's that speaks volumes to to me because it's Every single day working with him was just the medicine that I needed to get through some of it because um, it was a very acting heavy show um, and it was completely new. So every day something changed or some direction had changed. So you had to be on the top of your game. So having a windy pops next to me was just the best thing in the world. And it, and it made me laugh so, so much. And uh, I'd do it all again if it mean that I was working with him again. So, yeah, oh, legend. Wow. 
And how long have you been in, in the business now? Because you were a, a prison officer before, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So um, professionally singing since I was 18. I've been singing since I was 15. And I did talent competitions for like two or three years and kept on winning them. And that was my answer, really, to say that's what I should be doing because your mum and dad will always tell you the sun shines out of your bum and, oh, my God, she's so amazing. Have you heard her voice? She's got a voice of an angel. You know, even if someone's really bad or, oh, she dances like, you know, she's amazing. But I needed to hear that from other people. So I did a lot of talent competitions without my parents knowing and I'd come home with a £50 note or £300 or 500 quid or a £1,000. And my mum's like, where are you getting all this money? You're not drug dealing, are you? And I was like, no, I'm like, but I wouldn't tell her where I was going. I'd say I'm staying at a mate's house and I'd take a nice bit of clothes and go and do the heats without my parents there to try and instill it into my brain that that's what I was – because. I wanted to hear it from people that didn't know me so they couldn't be biased or, you know, they couldn't judge anything. They just literally judged me on my singing and so many people said that's what I need to be doing. So, thankfully, I took that I took that um, choice. I nearly went into the armed forces, but that's a different story. I was going to say, do, do any of the kids, I mean, we've met your kids, are beautiful, all of them, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Love them to bits. Do any of them play musical instruments or sing? Um, Brooke does. Um, I've managed to convince her to duet with me and on a live. So we're going to be practising a song over the next few weeks. How old's Brooke now? She's 15 next month. Wow, yeah. It's my great miserable skin at the moment because she's, she's got such a social life with her friends and... You know, I keep trying to say to her, like, you know, why don't you go on Zoom and have like a little, you know, chit chat with your mates and that. And she's just so miserable. And, you know, we're all supposed to be going on holiday in July and we don't know what's going to happen. And she's she's just miserable. But most teenagers are, aren't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> How are you coping with it all this lockdown? Um. We we live in a cul-de-sac, as you know, you've been to mine, and tonight at six o'clock I'm doing a street quiz and I'm taking it out the front and I've put a quiz together for all the neighbours on the front. So everyone's going to sit on their own front. I sent out invitations and I said, please remember the social distancing rules, everybody yeah. stay on their yeah. own front. But with regards to staying in, I'm quite surprised how resilient the kids are and how they're behaving because... If anyone's really, really struggling, it's me watching my kids not have their social life because they've all got so many different things that they do. And I'm, I feel really sad for them. I spoke to my son yesterday and said, because um, it's his birthday next month, and I was saying, you know, we could get you some stuff for your birthday, but it would just be getting it for the sake of it, or would you rather wait until all of this is over and we go out for a big day and we all spend it. And he's like, oh, can I do that instead? I, I do worry about their mental health, health after this, you know, how they're going to cope with, you know, going back to school and everything because my son starts secondary school in September and he hasn't been to the secondary school for a visit like they normally do. He's not done his SATs. So he's worried about groups. He's just overthinking things all the time. And I'm like, mate, everybody's in the same boat. Keep trying to tell, tell the kids we're not trapped in our house. We're safe in our house. You know, there's a massive difference. So what are you doing to help you cope? I mean, everybody's got different 
things that they're doing, you know, to get them through this lockdown. I mean, me personally, I'm dead busy in the community doing loads yeah. of telephone, telephone, answering the phone to people who are really struggling with addiction problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you doing to fill your time? I know you're doing your lives. Yeah, so I do, um, I do a Facebook Live up here, live in the loft every other day. I didn't want to just break down people's throats. Yesterday I did a live and it was like a karaoke session and I didn't actually know what what part I was singing, when to sing, what notes I was doing. And I felt really sort of self-conscious about it. And I'm like, I'm not doing that again. I'm only going to sing songs that I know. And, you know, I'll try and learn a few things. But that, that's keeping me busy. Yeah, struggling to get flour. You know, the kids want to make biscuits and stuff like that and they can't get flour. But I managed to get some off a friend this morning. So, well and it's Craig's birthday at the weekend. So I'm going to do him a Sunday dinner. But I think every day now is starting to get a bit like Groundhog Day. So we're trying to do different things. It's nice that the weather's nice. We're all having a chilled, relaxing time now. But it there does get days where I just think I just want to go out. But yeah, I'm coping well. I'm quite headstrong, to be honest. Um, my, my anxieties, I, I really suffer with anxieties. I think mo- most of my anxieties are to do with work, you know, because I need to work. But I'm getting my fix by singing every other day. So I'm getting, I've got my little patch on, you know, my little singing patch. I watched you yesterday and I thought yeah. you were amazing. And I like the fact that you, you were dead real throughout it because that's what other people are going to be doing at home. You know, that like singing. Yeah. They're going to be having a go. They're going to be saying, all right, I'm going to try this song today. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was really real. I was, um, I was singing songs yesterday that I'd never sang in front of anybody. And there was, then someone said to me, oh, this song. But the thing is, you can see how many people are watching. And I had like 1,200 people watching. And then you'll sing a song and it'll go down to 700. And you're like, oh, my God, I've got to pick it up. Because 700 people are watching and they, they don't like that song. So in your head, you're thinking, oh, my God, that was really bad. Because 500 people just disappeared after what after one song. So, like, you're constantly sort of sort of reading how you, how well you've done by looking at the numbers going up and down as well. So it can make it a little bit self-conscious and, you know, but I, I enjoy doing it and people get a lot out of it. And I get people asking me for like songs like Dance With My Father and, you know, songs that are clearly going to make them cry. And maybe they just need a good old cry because I think sometimes when you get stuff off your chest, it just, oh. So music is therapeutic. So it, it helped me, so... It is. It's beautiful. And you do, you, you bring about that emotion in people. And, and what a gift that is. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know I love you and I love <laughs> Your voice is just, I mean, amazing. I, oh. Hello. When we came to your house for Christmas, I loved hearing you just sing around the house and, you know, um, sing with Kev and you were doing little duets and... And I've got to say, I mean, I'm sure you're brilliant at, at roast dinners, but the most impressed my children were with the whole of that Christmas experience when we were in Leicester was your husband's roast dinner and Christmas dinner. Amazing, right? It was unbelievable. He's good, isn't he? Yeah, he's amazing. He's, I wouldn't want to be in the kitchen with him when, he, when he's got his own restaurant. But, you know, I've said to him before, like, you know, he's... He's really, he takes over as well. I know my eldest daughter, after she had a Christmas dinner at yours, she said, do you know what, Mummy? She said, if ever I came to Leicester um, to go to the university, she said I'd quite happily live with um, Sam 
So you know, obviously, what I do um, in the community, running um, a project yeah. that helps people um, get into recovery. That's what we do primarily. Mm-hmm. And then once people yeah. stabilise, we help them find little um, business ideas. So we help them set up their own projects or businesses so they can go on to sort of build a career for themselves as well. So yeah. I, I wanted to touch on your experience of recovery as a... Um, and I know you won't mind me saying this, but as a family member... My dad was an alcoholic. Um, I've grown up with alcohol all my life. Um, my dad used to go to work and uh, he got the sack from a job once because he was found in a wardrobe drinking a can of beer. He's a great decorator, don't get me wrong. And every Friday he'd come home with the money and he, you know, he'd buy his KFC or McDonald's every single Friday. He was a great dad. I learned loads from him. But alcohol was, I always said my dad would die with a can of beer in his hand. Mm-hmm. I always said that, you know, because I didn't see my dad without alcohol in all the years that I've known my dad. Um, when I was young, he used to drink Colt 45 and drink it that much that we had in our house our cushions were Colt 45 cushions. And then my dad and my mum went on to vodka um, when I was really young. And I, I remember as a youngster getting the bottle and taking it out into the kitchen and filling it half with water and bringing it back in. You've ever seen like in films where you get the kid in the banister looking through at their parents and the parents are kicking seven bells out of each other. That was me because my brothers used to go out they were old enough to go out and I was the young one, so I wasn't allowed to. So I used to witness my mum and dad arguing. I don't think there was ever a day where they didn't argue. I remember being about 12 years of age and my dad went away and my mum said that he was working and it turns out he'd gone into rehab and... um, few of my dad's friends had gone in to visit him in rehab and were sneaking him in beer. So my dad didn't last too long in, in rehab when he was there. And like, it's just, my dad was a different person when he wasn't on alcohol. I don't think I've ever known my dad on alcohol. And when he did, um, he was given these tablets and they made him so sick, made him really, really poorly. And, um, it, it it was the last thing he did. And uh, my dad was kind of, he's quite a bit of a cynic. He was a very funny man. Um, he loved his music. Like I said, fag in his hand. And it went on to, from vodka, it went to special brew. And that's like petrol. I always remember it being tasting because I used to try and nick it when I was 14 and go down the park with one can and get absolutely wasted on one can it was so potent this drink and I just always remember alcohol being in our house there was never a time when it wasn't and my dad um still got beers bought from him because he had mouth cancer towards the end he had mouth cancer which is caused by smoking and drinking um those are the two primary reasons that you get it and my dad had a lump in his in his mouth and he thought it was a an abscess and he was petrified of the dentist so he didn't go and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it turns out that he had cancer and the longer he left it the worse it got and then they told him that it was terminal so I got told just before Christmas that my dad was terminally ill with cancer and 
it got to a point where he couldn't physically drink the beers, but his his mum was still buying him a beer, but he wasn't drinking them and he'd hid them all over the house. And when my dad died, when my dad passed away, they found five, 600 cans of special brew in the house hidden when they was obviously going through all his stuff. And he put a note saying, this is for everyone to drink at my wake. And he'd saved them all for everybody to drink. And we put one in his coffee and when he died and, you know, but the way that I see it, even though I don't drink alcohol, I don't touch it. I haven't done, you know, for years. And if I do, I'll drink the neck and I panic and I'm like, you know, I don't even take paracetamol because I'm so fearful that I'm, because I've got the addictive gene in my family, that I'm going to be reliant on a tablet. And it'll come to the point where it will go around full circle and then I'll have to take it even though there's nothing wrong with me. So, but my brother, who, um, both my brothers have gone down the route. One brother who is still drinking, but he works, but I think he's got a problem, but he, he's that sort of person that won't, won't, he's stubborn. So regardless of what I say, he won't listen. But my brother, Danny, was a nightmare an absolute nightmare so 10 years ago he was a full-on alcoholic to the point where he'd come to stay at mine and he would hide and I didn't know this at the time and he would hide alcohol behind my bins but he'd be constantly going out to put the bins out and I was like and I didn't even see it he kept it so so regimented that I had no idea that he had this big problem. Um, and he went into rehab the first time and he came out after a couple of days, couldn't hack it. And he used to ring me up. And whenever he rang me up on the phone, um, I, I, I hated talking to him like that. I just didn't want to see it. I'd seen my dad die of the, of, you know, alcohol and I just didn't want it. And I'd had young children in my house and from what I'd seen as a as a child, I didn't want my kids to see my brother like that. I just didn't. He went into rehab for a second time and he came up to stay with us. And every time he come up and he looked after my dogs whilst we was away, he broke something. Something would break. And we couldn't work out why he was so it's because he got so drunk. He was just knocking things over and breaking things. And he was drinking neat vodka by this point. I just can't understand why, you know, anyone would drink that because it tastes disgusting. Um, but this is coming from somebody that doesn't drink. So, but my brother, um, after the second time, and he broke things and he was ringing me up and he was, and I was telling him every time, I was like his comfort blanket. So, I've got two young children of my own or I had one at the time or, and a baby. And I was telling him like, this is what you need to do. Needs what you need to do. And I was being on the phone to him for about an hour. So that's an hour out of my day with my own children, with my brother. And then he'd go, all right, sis, that's what I'm going to do. And then he wouldn't do it. And then he'd ring me again drunk. And I'd be like, why am I wasting my time? Why am I wasting my, I, I was so frustrated because all I want is to be able to say to my brothers, can you lend me 20 quid? Can you, can you lend me 40 quid? And I've never been able to do that in all my life. I just want my brothers to look after me and big brothers are supposed to do that, but it was, that wasn't the way it was. And 
So I made a really, really tough decision. And I said to my brother, I'm not going to talk to you again. I'm not going to answer the call to you. You're not going to see your niece and nephew. You're not going to see me. If you phone me, I will block the call and I'm not going to talk to you. You need to sort yourself out and you need to go and do what you need to do if you want to see your family. Because I've done it. This is the, this is the, the last draw now. And it was the hardest thing I had to do because that could have gone completely the wrong way and made him do something stupid. But I felt that I needed him to hear that from me, that I'd had enough because I've already seen it with my dad and I wasn't prepared to see somebody else go the same route. My dad was a different sort of drunk. Danny was just annoying when he used to ring up and, and I just I just didn't want to see him like that. Um, he promised, well, he was going to come up to Leicester with me. I was My mum was living down south and um, there was a really bad snowstorm. I'll never forget this. And... Danny said, look, why don't I come up with you? Because they was all worried about me driving with the baby in the car up the motorway because it was really, really bad snow to the point where the M1 was like that deep in snow. And Danny said, I'll come up with you and then I'll get, I'll get a bus back a week later. Um, so my mum sent him round the shop to get some cheese, bread, so we could stock up the car just in case we get snowed in on the motorway or something because it was really bad I remember it being really bad and he he were gone for ages and he'd used that money and got a quarter bottle of vodka downed it and was literally found on the floor out of it down the end of the road and he just literally just down this vodka and just used that money it was it was then that I realized this is this is not not right. And that's when I made that decision to say, I'm done. I had to dress him, you know. I, I don't want to see my brother naked. I had to physically strip him off and put him into some warm clothes because he was in that much of snow and loads, loads of people around him. And he was an absolute mess. And I'll never forget that. That will stay with me. And it was then that I made the decision that I wasn't going to accept it. And he went to rehab. Um, almost eight years ago in August and he'd come out and he's been sober as a judge ever since and to the point where he, he was I was talking to him earlier on today and he was saying about the 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 kind of prayer that he said the sobriety kind of prayer thing and he was he was preaching it to me and all this and I said you know Dan you've you've been through all this you'd be great for Kennedy Street because he's been through everything he understands all the traits and ways that coping mechanisms especially coping mechanisms and I remember he went in he came out of rehab in August and he came up to Leicester New Year's Eve and he we had a party at a friend's house and Danny was allowed to come Danny served everybody beer from the bar in this house all night and was a barman didn't touch a drop of it and he's so good like we we don't hide alcohol from him anymore because I know 150 percent that he wouldn't go back to it he wouldn't and he talks so confidently about the person that he's become he's become more of a, a family man he's he's um he's about to be sorry I lost you there for a sec um he's about to become that was him that's actually him facetiming me right now um he's about to Become a grandfather for the for the third time, wow. so 
um, a great great like hang on hang on what we done your son yeah great yeah grandfather for the third time and um, she's a water's broke his son's um, wife like today so she's in hospital um giving birth to their um to their son and he thrives on his on his kids and he thrives on mine and he literally loves my my, my kids dearly and when he comes up my kids light their faces light up and I'm so glad that I made that decision to sort of say to him you know what's more important that bottle or your family and it made him really think about it I'm lucky because it made him really think about it but it was a really hard decision really hard oh what an amazing story and what an amazing brother and it is it is it's an awful condition you know people Mm -hmm. do lose their lives because of it and often families do present opportunities you know where they've had enough to the to the loved ones and they say and some pits some families don't take it you know they don't they're that they're that far down the road that they can't they can't help themselves so you know thanks god that your brother found his recovery and um it sounds to me like he's very active. Is that, you know I, I gave him he is he is very active and i've said to him like on numerous occasions the way that he talks about being clean and dry you know what however you guys say it and I, I can't even remember how he talks about yeah like sober like how he how he talks about being an alcoholic yeah. he talks about it as if someone's talking about father Christmas because he talks about he's so proud of himself incredibly proud and he, he'll constantly he's like an alarm clock he constantly reminds me you'll go um you'll go seven years and six months and two days today, like he's 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 always remembering where he's come from, and every day every day he wants to strive to be this this better person and and do something proactive. And I think it's his calling, really, because you know, with regards to jobs, he's been an alcoholic for so many years. He missed out on so much education when he was younger because drink always took precedent over it. And I said, that, you know, this is something that he needs to be doing because he can help other people and he can be a great mentor. And, you know, he's a pain in the bum a lot of the time. Don't get me wrong. But that's the sort of brother that I wanted, you know, is, is someone I could have a bit of banter with and, you know, and I, for everything that he's done two years ago, I, I surprised him with a trip to LA and he came out to LA with me Craig and the kids and um, he came out there for two weeks and we're supposed to be going to Florida and because he comes up and helps out if I said right okay we're all going away I've got three dogs you see and I don't like dogs being kennels and I'll say to him you know fancy coming up to the Pearson Palace and staying at mine because we call it the Pearson Palace that's what he calls it because he likes my house because it's got all these nice things in it. And he, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come up. And he takes the dogs out. And my mum lives up here now. So he loves it. So as a treat, I said, I'm, I'm going to pay for you to come to Florida. And we don't know whether we're going to go now. But you know, I am incredibly proud of him. But my other brother, you know, I don't think I can have that same effect on him. You know, he, he likes a drink. He's got that that red face you know like the red face that you get when you drink too much and and it pains me to look at him sometimes and he's let himself go he's lost teeth and I'm like and it upsets me it really does and I know he'll never watch this so I can say how much it upsets me and 
but he works. He works, you know, he's a shift worker. He works in a factory and he earns money. And, you know, I say I'm proud of him. I just wish that he'd, you know, found a wife. And I, I wish there'd been some sort of strong character in his life that had sort of like got him away from it all. And, you know, but he, he hasn't found that someone. So he's, is a bit of a lost cause with me. I, don't, I can't. I, I can't do that again. I can't. But he's not like Danny. Danny used to listen to me, which is why he's sober now. I'm not saying that I'm completely responsible because he'd done it himself, not me. Yeah. But I think some of my words had an ongoing had an effect on him. But Charlie, if I said that to him, he'd shrug his shoulders. He's a completely different kettle of fish. So he's got to find it on his own. And that, like you, you say, and what, like my brother says, you know, the first thing is denial, you know, of most people that are in that, that they will deny it to them. I'm addicted to sugar. So, you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to hold my hand up to that. I am completely addicted to sugar. I think that's my addictive gene is, you know, I've got to have sugar on a cup of tea. I've got to have sugar. I've got to have chocolate bar every now and again, you know, I get the shakes if I don't have it, you know, <laughs> I'm, that's me. But, with regards to alcohol, it has played a massive part in my life since I was old enough to remember. Um, but it's it's helped me by seeing what I've seen to become the person I am and to be able to help my brother as well. You know, I, I could have gone down that route as a youngster as well because both my brothers did. And you say that, you know, siblings tend to follow what other siblings do, but because I've been, I was that kid within the, between the banisters watching my mum and dad kicking seven bells out of each other. I chose not to go down that route because I saw alcohol as being the devil really. And the, you know, the root of all the problems. And as a child, seeing my mum and dad not have alcohol was some of the best times ever. But also when they did have a drink, it was also some of the best times ever because weirdly they let loose and they had good times but when the alcohol became more and more of a thing that's when the poo hits the fan you know um so I have mixed feelings about alcohol with regards to my family I wouldn't change my parents and who they were for, for all the tea in China I wouldn't and I wouldn't change my brother because I think my brother has become who he is because of alcohol um but you know if there's anyone out there that is struggling with it there is a way out and your life will get better if you accept what you've you know the problems that you've got with alcohol and do something about it yeah and your health as well like my brother's my brother's health was awful and he looks so much better now like he looked awful yeah. looked an awful and that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing about um, addiction um, to alcohol or drugs is when people are in it, they don't often see that they're in it. No, it's only, it's only no. when they can look back. Like your brother now is in recovery, he can look, he can glance back in at his old life and and see that the, the awfulness mm-hmm. that it probably was. You know, I'm yeah, just absolutely. I'm just, so glad that you've got to experience recovery as well because it's not many people do experience it. I mean, what you're talking about, your other brother who's a functioning alcoholic, that's unfortunately 85% of the population, Sam. Yeah, yeah. The 2% we see staggering around the streets are a minority. 
So the mm-hmm. most, most alcoholic addicts are still still in employment, you know. So and and it's that fact yeah. that they're still in a job that, that keeps them in denial often, you know. That the, oh well, yeah, I, 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 I had such a fear. I had such a fear of alcohol that when I first got with my husband and I first moved into his house, one of the first things I ever said to him is, "If I ever see more than more than so many." cans of beer in the fridge or if I ever see a pattern of you getting a can every single day after work I'll be gone that's because I had such a fear of alcohol and the repetitiveness of alcoholics and how they they do the same thing it's like when I used to smoke if I ever went out of the house I'd light up a fag as soon as I got outside you know certain things that I did where I had to have that fag in that break or that time before going to bed I had to have a fag couldn't do anything else before I'd had a fag in the morning you know I couldn't function until I'd had that morning cigarette it's the same with alcohol it's like they can't function until they've had that or they can't function until and this is from somebody that doesn't that that isn't an alcoholic this is what I see Mm -hmm. and it's the same with my brother constantly going out to my bins and putting them putting them out and then he would drink Sprite because obviously Sprite is clear. And then little did I know that inside that Sprite bottle that he was always walking around with was vodka, you know? And I and I didn't see any of this. And now when I look back, I go, yeah, like, wow. Because there was so many sort of sneaky ways that my brother used to hide it. And the fact that he used to hide it means that he knows that he's got a problem. In my head, that's the way, because if he had to hide it from me, he knows that it's wrong what he's doing and and that, that's how I felt at the time and I remember having conversations with him and trying to read how he was on the phone just by a conversation and he used to repeat himself all the time in a conversation he'd say the, th- the same thing three or four times I'm like Dan you've just said that and in the end I'd put my phone down on him because I, I just it would frustrate me and my dad was the same you know, it, it fried their brains at one point. My dad was terrible for it. Um, but like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't change my brother and I wouldn't change my dad. Uh, that's because they come out of it the other side. And, you know, my dad, I always said from when the day that I was, you know, able to speak, my dad will die with a can of brew in his hand. He will. Absolutely. And and that's what he had. He had one in his coffin with him when, when he passed away. And I don't, you know, for anybody else watching, if, you know, there's people that are alcoholics and, they, and they're still trying to, to get through recovery and still, still struggling and battling with it, you know, just think of my dad. Think of, you know, what life my brother might have had now. Eight years ago, he, um, he became sober, you know, and eight years is a long time. But if he'd have carried on the way he was, he would have been dead because he was on vodka neat vodka drinking neat vodka out of a bottle and he wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for for that stop and then him actually saying I'm gonna lose everything you know and I was one of the lucky ones that got my brother back but I didn't get my dad because I didn't like him without alcohol if I'm honest Mm. he he was quiet um he was just constantly being sick he was really poorly and if, if I remember rightly he just he was subdued he just wasn't my dad 
And because I've had that for so many years with my dad drinking, I mean, he he drank that much that he'd go without a drink for a day and a half and he'd go out for a drive and he was still over the limit. <laughs> wow. And yeah. he got and he got he got a ban because it was just running for his blood that much that he was over the limit even if he hadn't had a drink for 24 hours mm. you know I just I just remember that with my dad and I I haven't got the only times I've got any bad memories of my dad and my mum is obviously when they used to fight and argue and normally well 100% of the time alcohol was the reason you know that's what triggered it but when the, it's weird because my mum likes to drink. But my mum's not an alcoholic, but she likes to drink. And she'll say, she'll get to phase three. I call them three phases of being, being, being drunk. Phase one, she's happy. Phase two, she's having a bit of a dance. Phase three, it's DEFCON 5. Everybody needs to leave the area because my mum is about to say some awful things and she'll cry and then she'll say some really nasty things and she'll snarl and, yeah, like that. And then the next day, she'll come down the stairs and go, do you want a cup of tea? And I'm like, hello? Do you like that? <laughs> but she's, she don't do that so much now because obviously the kids have picked up on it when she's being mean and stuff and you know she's she's great but I honestly say that I'm I'm frightened of alcohol and I've been honest to my children about the effects of alcohol and what it's done to my family because I want my kids to be wary my eldest is 14 15 she's going to parties and she's even told me like oh, there's people drinking at the party and I'm like hey like you know that's fine. If they want to have a drink, they want to have a drink. And then, you know, she'll say, she'll say, I don't really like it. Cause she don't, she only drinks milk and water. My brook. She don't drink Coke. She don't drink any fizzy or any orange or anything. She drinks milk and water. So I said, well, you're going to be a bundle of fun when you go out with your mates in years to come, aren't you? <laughs> going up to the bar and asking for some Cravendale. <laughs> Can I have a straw with that? Um, <laughs> I've been completely honest with her. And I think, you know, in, in years to come, she's going to go out with her friends and she's going to have a drink like most kids do. But I have completely drummed it into her of the effects that alcohol have had on my family. And she needs to think twice before she thinks about getting absolutely K-code when she's out with her mates, you know, because it's going to start coming to that, you know, stage very shortly. But, you know, I... I just want to be honest with my kids and tell them that, you know, this is this is going to happen in years to come and this is what happened to my dad and this is what happened to my brother and you need to really think about whether you want to go down that route as well. So, And I think it's a, it's a beautiful note to end on, to be honest, is the great thing is, is that you've got recovery in your family and mm -hmm. that, that is more powerful than anything else that, that yeah. your kids will know and see. So the way I look at it, my children, our, our kids are the same. And my job as a parent is to plant the seed of hope because they're mm -hmm. going to do what they're going to do, aren't they? They're going to do what yeah. they're going to do. They're going to yeah. try all sorts. They're going to... But the great news is, is they know that actually, God forbid if anything ever happened and the wheels came off and they got a problem, that there's somebody in the family that they can turn to That's and talk to. And ask yeah, them. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. You know, my my kids are my life, and you know, I 
that they know that the Danny, this is why Danny is, is, this is his calling because he can talk freely to my eldest Brooke about alcohol and how it can affect you. Not so much now because she's not really at that stage yet, but she has been going to parties where there's been people there that have been drinking and these are house parties with parents and stuff. And I'm like, where's my phone call from the parent? I'm waiting. <laughs> where's that phone call? Because I said to Brooke, I said, why don't you have a party here? And she's like, no, because you'll ring every parent up and ask if they're allowed to have alcohol and like blah, blah, blah. And you'll be like the alcohol police. I went, too right, I will. I said, because if anything happens to them kids in my house, I'm responsible. So if they're not allowed to drink alcohol, they won't be drinking. She went, and that's why you're not having a party at my house. (laughs) So... I don't understand that concept. And she'd been to parties recently and there's been people there and one of her friends got a little bit drunk and she rang me up and she went, can you pick me up because my friend's drunk? And I went, no, you need to stay there with your friend and look after her because if you leave her on her own, then she's vulnerable on her own. What You know, she's your best friend. You need to stay there with her and look after her. You know, it's her mistake, but you need to all stick together. So, you know, it it frightens me. That's the only thing that frightens me is 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 alcohol and all of that sort of stuff with regards to my children. So I do try to be honest with them and, you know, I will get Danny to have the chat with, uh, with Brooke when she's at the right age, though. And it's, you know, our kids are the same. Katie, Katie's 16. She's going to parties. She's, she, she sat me down and said, Mummy, we're going to have to talk. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Is she pregnant? And, you know, oh, all those God. things. And then she said, I have to tell you, she said, I'm going to a house party tonight. She said, you know, all my friends have been drinking and doing drugs since the age of 13. I was like, no, I didn't know that. But anyway, thank you for telling me. And <laughs> she said, I'm 15 now, Mummy. This was like before she was 16. She said, I'm going to a party tonight and I want to, I want to try alcohol. She said, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I was so touched, Sam, that she actually had that conversation with me. Yeah. I said, do you know what? I'm really honoured that you actually have talked to me about it. I said... It's quite responsible, though. Your girls are really grown up for their age, I think. And I think because they know that, you know, uh, the history of you and Kev as well, I don't think that they would... I don't think you'd have anything to worry about. Obviously, like you said, and with regards to my children, I think if anyone's going to have a problem, it'd be Miley, because she's such a little flipping firecracker. She'll be like, ooh, raving and stuff like that. I'm just dreading the worst with her. But Brooke's got quite a good... Le- like level head she's quite level headed and your your two are as well I don't think but um they've they've got any got anything to worry about there I don't think you know, so at all I think as well I think what you've done with um well what Brooke's done and what my girls have got is they've got they've got a life they've got interests mm-hmm. outside of partying I never yeah. have my kids actually like studying. I never like studying. My kids actually <laughs> play the piano, play the guitar, they sing, they yeah. do art, they do so many other things that they love to do. Yeah. That they're not really I mean, Katie's been to the party, she's had the drink and she's come home and she's gone, Oh mummy. She said the yeah. next day she went, I'm not doing that again too quick. She said, I feel like I've been pooed out of a frog. 
So I said, that's a hangover. (laughs) I've never had one, ever in my life. Oh, horrible. You're not missing nothing. Craig's had a fair few. Yeah, you know, I do do panic about it. And I I also said to my my daughter um, that years ago, when I was 14, 15, I went to Butlins on holiday with some friends and their mum. And we all went out and I was drinking Thunderbirds, this horrible drink called Thunderbirds. And I woke up face first, um, face down with all my clothes on in the chalet the next day. And I asked my friend, how did I get back? And she said, four lads took me back, carried me back to the room. And these were lads that we were hanging about with and nothing happened, but I said this to Brooke and I said, I was fortunate that these four lads were looking after me. I said, but I was that out of it. I don't even remember. So they could have done anything and I would have had no clue. And it's, it's sort of that sort of stuff because of the, of the age she, she is. Know your limits. If I, if I knew every time I had a drink that I could get to a certain level and just get giggly every single time, I, I would I would have a drink every now and again, but it'd have to be something that doesn't taste of alcohol because as soon as I know it tastes of alcohol, I don't like it. My face goes numb. I start eating a burger like something out of aeroplane, you know, when you can't find your face. Yeah. Trying to be hand-eye coordination goes out the window. And there's only been a few cases. My husband's never seen me drunk. Wow. Ever. And everyone says to me, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I say, well, it was a birthday present to me, from, so I don't have to buy him a present. Can we just get you drunk so I can see you drunk? I'm like, no. <laughs> but oh, my so kids don't like me to drink. I'm the designated driver. I'm the safe haven. That if we go out as a family and Craig has a few beers, I'm the one that gets everybody home safe. If yeah. Craig wants to carry on drinking, I'll say, I'm going to take the kids home, have a good night, get a taxi back, and I'll see you when you get in. You're sleeping in the spare room. Bye. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm the one that's the safe per- person in my house with regards to alcohol because I, don't, I will never get it that, get to that level. I will never get myself get to that level. I will never drink in front of my kids, ever. I'll always be the one that carries them up in my arms and make, gets them away from a situation where people are getting... You know, I don't like that. I don't, yeah. I don't like being in that situation where people get argumentative you can you can smell it in the air and that's what I smell in the air from a very young age is that smell of arguments and people are about to get kicked seven bells out of and my dad's going to get the black eye and you know dinner's going to be thrown over someone and things get smashed and you know that's pretty much the noises that come from my childhood you know my dad was my dad wasn't fixable, but my brother was. So, oh. you know, I've seen I've seen someone come out the other side and I'm willing to help. So amazing. Thank you so much, Sam. And thank you for spending this time with me. It's been adorable to see you. I love I love spending time with you. I love talking to you. I love listening to you. And and you've given me Danny's number as well. So I'd love to give Danny. Yes, a I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get him to get him to download zoom and he can go on here and chat to you because again this is somebody that's come out the other side that you know that could give a bit of wisdom to people and and sort of like say out he's he's full of confidence at the moment and uh it's his birthday next week as well so it's just um his birthday's on the 14th next week so he's buzzing because he's just 
he's just about to become a, a granddad again, so he's very excited. So we call those in the in sobriety world, we call your birthday your belly button birthday. So it's his belly button birthday next week. Oh, I'm telling you that. Yeah, what day is it next week? Is the um, it's the 14th, so I think it's Tuesday. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I, yeah. I'll try and... I'll try and arrange to speak to him on his birthday and we can celebrate oh, together. Oh, he'll love that. He'll love that. He'll oh, love thank it. you, know, he's, he's done so well. I'm very, very proud of him, you know. Very proud of him. You know, I, I think he lost him, you. but I'm very proud of him. And I'm sure he's, he's really proud of him. He's a bugger, but yeah, I'm very proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> he's your brother bugger, so he's... he's yeah, he's your... and... And when you speak to him next week, say to him, how come whenever you stay at your sister's house, you always break something, even now? Even though he's been eight years sober, he still manages to break something every time. If it's not a dishwasher, it's a shower head. It's always something that he breaks in my house every time he comes up. Oh, funny. Ask him. <laughs> I will. I'll ask him. I'll ask him. Thank you again. And lovely to see you, Precious. Love you loads. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist.